1: Sorry, do it one
2: more time because I'm I'm doing one, two, three, and you're doing one, two, three, clap. Welcome back to the random badassery rodeo. Strap yourself in for who knows what's gonna happen. I will be a clown today inside of a barrel, and opening the chute for you will be my friend and your friend, Lam Wen. Does that make me the barrel or the (laughs) bull? That makes you the clown who opens the chute.
1: Oh, I'm officially the clown opening the chute. Okay, the chute is open. Go for it. You
2: need to watch more rodeos. I do. We're both clowns. Everybody knows that.
1: I've never in my life been to a rodeo. I feel like I should go just once in order to have the experience.
2: They're kind of cool, aside from the possible cruelty to animals part. Who knows? Sure. Well, um, some big news today. Um, But before we get into the big news today... I want to uh, have a little talk with you, audience, about advertisement and sponsorship and uh, things like that and let you know where we stand. So one of the big problems I see when I see you know the way podcasters deal with advertisements in their, uh, in their shows is I feel like it really goes to extremes. There is the, the minimalist, um, the minimalists. It's hard to say that word and enunciate that last S. Uh, Their route is that they don't do advertisements, and they have a mantra that they repeat over and over again, which gets kind of old, in my opinion, that we don't do advertisements because advertisements suck. And uh, first of all, I don't think advertisements suck. I think advertisements, when there's too many of them, and when they are for things that you don't care about, advertisements suck. But when I see an ad for something that I'm interested in, I usually go buy that thing because... I was interested in it, and I wouldn't have known about it if it wasn't for the advertisement. So I don't necessarily agree with their philosophy. What do you think of their philosophy, Liam? Um, I agree with that. I mean, for, for, all, for all intents and purposes, what we're talking
1: about is, is how much you are willing to shield yourself in order to make a buck, right? And I think in our case, we've, we've made this very clear from the, the essentially the beginning that we would never have advertisers unless we believed in their product or personally used them. Um, you know, like for our, our tools and te- uh, our tools and techniques episodes, um, we always talk about apps that we're actually using. No one pays us to talk about them, um, and no one um, pays us to give them praise and or criticism for that matter. So, um, I think you and I have always stuck to that philosophy, and we've always stuck very clear to the philosophy that unless we believe in it, we're not gonna we're not gonna um, accept a sponsorship or advertise for that particular company.
2: That brings me to the other end of the spectrum, which is. I I, don't, I actually feel bad that I'm calling out specific podcasts, but I want to give you guys specific examples. But I, I had to l- stop listening to a podcast that I really enjoy, which was Tim Ferriss podcast, because the way he deals with advertisements, it just started to nauseate me over time because it's it's like the first eight minutes of his podcast is it's not even him talking about the advertisement. It's a recording that he did one time that he plays over and over and over and over again. And it just shows no interest in the product. So it sucks for that company, but it also sucks for the audience because who the hell wants to hear the same thing described the same exact way in the same exact recording over and over again when they just want to get into the show. And especially the length of it too. It's so long. (laughs) Joe Rogan kind of does the same thing, but at least Joe Rogan has the heart to talk about it individually every time sure and he might go off for 15 minutes on on one of his tangents about the product but it's fresh and new every time and it just shows an interest you know companies you, we've talked a lot about tech and you know turning off your phone and all that stuff but i want to make something very very clear to you guys companies and business is not a bad thing it's just implemented poorly a lot of the times and we what we're really against in this show is not technology obviously because we love apps we're against overload we're against things that get in the way of you creating things and we there are a lot of great companies out there and i i just i think that that they deserve a good advertisement if you get them as a sponsor Mm -hmm. um i mean what do you think about that yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, for for
1: example, I, I, you haven't mentioned uh, who, who our sponsor is going to be. But yeah, I totally agree with that. There are plenty of good companies out there. Um, and even a, a lot of people think that a lot of the megalith companies, um, like the massive corporations, are all bad. Um, and don't get me wrong, quite a few of them are. But most, of, most people who get into business or politics or whatever it is don't get in to hurt people. You know, they get in to try to help people. And sometimes that goes horribly wrong. And sometimes it goes moderately right. You know, like if you look at most big companies like Apple or anything like that, they have their positives and their negatives. Google has its positives and its negatives. You know, Facebook has its positives and its negatives. So, you know, there's and and there are quite a few smaller to medium sized companies who are overwhelmingly positive in their 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 altruistic goals or their 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 view towards the future and where we're headed with both technology as well as culture. So yeah, that's that's definitely true. There are definitely some companies that I would plug even if they didn't pay us to do it.
2: You can consider this a plug, but like companies like Tom's and uh, Warby Parker, all these companies that when you buy something, they give something of that you know shoe or glasses to somebody in need. These are companies that are out there are actually trying to make a difference in the world. And what I want to remind you guys of too is business and technology and all these things. That's creativity too. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we would be pretty pretty hypocritical <laughs> advertising marketing. Those are, those are creative pursuits as well. We, I mean, we talked early on in the podcast about guys
1: like, um, you know, Marcel Duchamp and, and, and Andy Warhol and, um, God, I forget that one other guy's name. Um, but their, their entire, their entire, um, foray into the art world wasn't about art itself. It was about whether you could get away with something. And a lot of it was about advertising and, and, and marketing. And so, you know, if, if the modern age tells us anything clearly, it's that one of the, the, the biggest moves towards the artistic or creative world is actually marketing. I mean, some of the most creative things I've seen over the last 10 years have been in marketing. Um, so that's definitely true. I mean, it's one of those things like, you know, you, you if, if there's money in, in marketing, for example, then there's money in creativity and it's amazing what certain artists can do with massive budgets. I mean, the opposite is true too. um, look at water world, for example. Um, but, you know, there, there are definitely clear examples of how big budgets can create fantastic artwork if given if, if, if put in the hands of the right creator.
0: Right.
2: I mean, one of our favorite directors, David Fincher, got his start making music videos and commercials. Oh, yeah. So and, and that's probably common of even more people than I'm thinking of right now. But um, that's not where we're going with this. But basically, if you haven't guessed yet, our big news today is that we have our first sponsor. And our sponsor is, one of, is part of a division of one of those large conglomerates like Google and Apple that uh, Lam has mentioned. This, in this case, being Amazon. Our sponsor is Audible. Audible is a podcast, I mean, a podcast and audiobook service. If you haven't heard of it, I doubt you haven't heard of it, though. They are the biggest in the world. And one of the reasons that we're excited about it is is because Lamb and I love books, so I don't have a problem getting on here and shilling books to you guys. But uh, what we want to do every week, instead of uh, you know just telling you go to Audible and uh, get get a free trial and download this one book, every book every week we want to bring you a different book. Um, this week I'll, I'll I'll provide a book for you that I think is really great that you might want to check out with your free trial. Next week, Lamb will. And, uh, I don't know. We're just going to try to approach this as genuinely and au- authentically as we can. So if you do not have an Audible membership or you are interested in checking it out, um, you, instead of maybe listening to us on your drive today, you want to listen to a book. Um, you would go to audibletrial.com and forward slash, yes, you guessed it, random badassery. All one word though. So audibletrial.com forward slash random badassery for a, th- a free trial. It's 30 days. And with that 30 days, you get a free book. And what's really cool about Audible, one of the reasons that, that I've used them a lot, um, one of the reasons that I stuck with Audible, even though there was a lot of other great services like um, – Oh, I, I totally forgot the name of them because I think two of them went out. Two of them went out of business, so I guess uh, it doesn't matter. But they were doing um, kind of more of a Netflix things where you had like a all you can read um, for ten dollars a month or whatever. One of the reasons I went to Audible was because when you're done with Audible, you don't want to pay for Audible anymore. All of the books that you got because so the way it works is you pay your I think it's fifteen dollars a month and you get your book. You get one free book. And then any books that you buy an additional after that during the month are at a discounted price. And it's usually at least 20%. I think it's, sometimes it's as much as 50% or 80%. Um, but all those books that you get during that time, they're still yours. You're literally – you're so your monthly fee, you're actually paying for those books. You own those. So when you stop paying for Audible and you sign into that account, all those books are still there. And here's the really cool part. They're downloadable. So if you never want to go to Audible again, you just want to use Audible for a year to get 12 books or 12 audiobooks, you can go download those, stick them on a hard drive and you own them. It's totally yours. There's no DRM on it or anything. So for me, that was the kind of the clincher because uh, at a certain point for me, I started using uh, my Kindle more and Kindle has a, kind of a tie in with Audible where you can listen to the audiobooks. Um, You get them at a discounted price, but they sync together so you can read the page and listen at the same time. So I didn't need my Audible membership anymore. So I canceled my Audible membership, and I've been buying my audiobooks through uh, Kindle. But I still own all of those audiobooks that I had for three years. So I I don't don't know if I can plug that anymore without getting a little too far, but I will (laughs) say this. If you're going to go do a free trial – the book that I suggest this this week is Hitch twenty two by Christopher Hitchens. It is the first book I ever downloaded on Audible. It is the I think the first audio book I ever listened to, and it's read by Christopher Hitchens himself. Who, um, if you know anything about Christopher Hitchens, he is he unfortunately died of cancer several years ago. So the chances of hearing him read another book are pretty slim. It's the story of his it's the story of his life. He was a very educated man, um, very. Very fascinating life. Um, Just extraordinary book. I've I've probably listened to it three or four times. Just, I mean, his reading voice is, Lamb asked me a question on Instagram the other day who one of my favorite voices is. And uh, I said Aretha Franklin for singing, Patrick Stewart for reading, and then Nick Cave for both. But I totally forgot about Hitch Mm. because he has so much power, power in that voice. Um, Have you used audiobooks, Lamb? Yeah, I used to use Audible all the time. I mean,
1: for the download feature alone, because I used to travel a lot for work, um, that used to be, and, and some of my trips were very, very long. Like, you know, there were times where I was traveling overseas or across across the entire country. So, you know, I'd have four or five hours. Um, and the download feature on Audible was an absolute godsend. Like there were times where, you know, obviously in, on a plane, you didn't, at least not until recently, you didn't have an internet connection. So you couldn't just stream things um so you know i their entire collections of books like i think before i even touched a single harry potter book for example i i listened to the entire um audiobook series on audible and by the way the audiobooks are really really good for that series um i i feel terrible not remembering the name of the the person who read those books but um it, it's it's very very good um so yeah absolutely I, I i still use audiobooks to this day uh between podcasts and audiobooks that's pretty much all i'm doing in the car when i'm i'm commuting so, you know, it's at least a full audio book, um, a week or at least, um, uh, you know, two or three throughout the course of the week, depending on whether I mix it in with some podcasts as well.
2: See, that's the extraordinary thing to me. I think, you know, a lot of people have talked, by the way, we're moving past that section and we're going into our rambling. Yeah. We're <laughs> out of the advertisement stuff. Yeah. One of the things that I, you know, people have been talking for the last years: oh, the future of everything is in video. The future of everything is video. I disagree. I think the future of everything's in audio. Uh, because uh, audio, you can. I mean, think of all the things you can do while you're listening to a podcast or listening to a book. You know that you can't do while watching a video. You can't drive. Can't go for a jog. You can't work. You know you can't uh, fix your car. All these things you can do while you got you know your AirPods or your pods or your your Beats. Or I only named three Apple products because I can't think of a single <laughs> headphone for some reason right now <laughs> that isn't made by Apple. But you've got you know whatever you got in your ears, and you can listen to these things doing other stuff. And I think to me that's that's power. That's just something. There's an intimacy to audio that people that people don't give enough credit to. One of our listeners, Anna, she listens to stuff in the background while she's making art. Why? Because it's it's audio. You can do that. That's 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 an intimate thing to, to be part of somebody's um, routine while they're making art yeah I can't really think of an
1: artist that I know that doesn't do that um you know that doesn't throw on their favorite song or, or a podcast or something like that um while, while they're doing stuff you know what's funny is I, back in the day when i I first started getting into audiobooks and stuff i I actually was against audiobooks I feel so stupid for saying that now um but I, I thought audiobooks were were kind of the death of actual books what a what an idiotic thing to think um it not only isn't it, it's inspired me to have more interest in certain books that I would have never found otherwise. Um, and it's allowed me to, to consume them in ways. Cause you know, like when you're on a plane, for example, and you just want to kick back and, 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 you know, put your head back and close your eyes. You don't want to focus on a book for 12 hours. Um, it allows you the the option to do that. And there are so many books that I've consumed because of that. I mean, it's amazing. Um, there are certain books that like, um, uh, the Martian, for example, which I never would have read in hardback form or paperback form if I didn't have the audiobook. And I would have missed out. It was a great book. Um, it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, um, I definitely think the medium has evolved quite a bit. And Audible has been a big part of that, as well as, you know, the iTunes um, audiobook service and stuff like that, and I, which is my first entry point to audiobooks. Um, but Audible just had an easier to access and more diverse library um so it was, it was the interface just made a lot more sense to me so i switched to that at some point and i have never looked back i mean my my library is extensive now
2: <laughs> you shouldn't feel so bad about thinking poorly of audiobooks at first because i was in the same camp as you um until i heard like i think it was an interview with Seth Godin mm-hmm. and he talked about how he used uh, almost audiobooks almost exclusively but he'd, because my problem with it is I, I like to highlight and take notes. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really important to me. You guys have heard me talk about that a million times, so you don't need me to explain that anymore. But with an audiobook, I couldn't do that. You know, I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm just going to, this information is just going to be going in one ear and drifting out the other. But in the Seth Godin interview, he said something about listening to audiobooks over and over again, just hammering those points in. And I was like, and something about that, it clicked with me. I'm like, oh. Then I swear, it must have been like a month afterwards, Audible introduced the, and this is how you can tell we're not professional shills. Um, I don't remember what the feature is called. <laughs> but there's a feature in the app that lets you take audio clips. So you can literally highlight audio. Um, so you can go back and it's like highlights, but it, they're just like audio clips. So you, you can remember that sentence for that paragraph. Which is, I just, I thought that was really innovative and cool. And it came at the time when I was like, uh, this is exactly what I need. Oh, by the way, another thing I want to talk about. Well, before we get into, by the way, we are also doing the Coen brothers today. That's two by the ways stacked on top of each other. Um, we finally got around to the Coen brothers. But before we do that, let's talk a bit about, what are we going to talk about, Lamb? What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that. Even though I told you before we started. Yeah. <laughs> see we we wound so many different places. I
1: totally see this is why you shouldn't give me plans. It never works out. I completely I completely got derailed. All right, so what are we talking about? Bring a
2: little bit of reality in. Oh. Um we're gonna talk about the monthly creative challenge. Ah,
1: geez, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry.
2: Thank you guys so far who everybody who has participated. It's been awesome. We got off for for a two week, you know, mid month start. I think we, we had a really great beginning to this project. Um, We are now in it, uh, what what week is this? We're the first, I guess is a little bit over the first week. We're 11 days into this month. So uh, we've already had our first entry from Trista on light uh, or as Lam um, explained it, what does light mean to you? That is the prompt for this month. And if this is the first time you're listening, monthly creative challenge is really simple. Hey, we're going to give you a prompt every month. Go make something. I don't, it doesn't have to be art. Go make something that that word or that prompt or that sentence inspires you to make. Take a photo of it, post it on Instagram, tag at random badassery and share it with us. If you don't have Instagram, share it wherever. And and by the way, the door is completely
1: open on this one. It can be a poem. It can be a song. It can be part of a song. It can be. An image, it can be anything. So don't feel a like you're limited game. to a particular... Yeah, a video game, whatever. Um, so don't feel limited. A GIF, if you feel like producing one of those, um, it, it can be anything as long as um, the, the the word that inspires you or the meaning for that word inspires you, which is light. So find us on any one of our many platforms and, and send it to us so we can we can show it off. Um, also, we may potentially... We're, we're still working on this, but we may potentially have a space in which we gather all of these pieces um, in, in something of a gallery, um, as well. So we're going to have, uh, that coming up in the near future. Um, so yeah, keep, keep your eye out for that, but yeah, continue to produce stuff and send it our way. Uh, we love seeing it. We love seeing people produce stuff and we love knowing, um, that we're, we're, we're doing things that are helping to creatively inspire people. Um, which by the way, over the last, uh, week, um, so many of you have reached out to us to tell us, um, what you thought about the show. And I'm, I'm humbled and shocked by it, like Chad and I, because we receive it on so many different outlets um, that, you know, Chad will receive one, he'll send it to me. I'll receive one, I'll send it to Chad. Uh, but thank you guys for for the outpouring of, 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 of support. It's it's really humbling and, and really, really cool. Um, you know, a lot of times Chad and I think we're, we're just sitting on desert islands with microphones and just talking to coconuts. Um, but, you know, every, every so often we get a reminder that those coconuts are actually people and that island is actually the world. So uh, thank you guys. Thank you guys for doing that.
2: Yeah, and as long as you guys are out there, we're going to be here. You know, this is, this is, we've, we've talked a little bit about it before, but this is something, this, it's not just something we do. This is something we're, we're working on our best to live. So this is, this is something that we're very dedicated to. And that something is specifically is you. And that's why this monthly we created this monthly creative challenge. It benefits us uh, in no way financially or anything like that. We're not selling your artwork. You're just sending us photos of it. Um, We just want you guys to remember that you're creative creatures, that you are uh, people with a voice, and that you can make things and you can have fun and that it doesn't have to be serious. It can just be something that you enjoy. It can be serious if you want it to be. But... We just want you to make stuff because when we make things, the world becomes more beautiful. And that's the world we want to live in. So, with that said, let's talk about people who like to make movies about putting people into wood chippers. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a heck of a lead in. Welcome to the Coen Brothers section of the show. Presented by the Coen Brothers. So... Um, Interesting thing that Lamb and I figured out before we started this episode. Lamb prepared for this episode by watching a lot of Coen Brothers movies. I watched one <laughs> I, instead. Instead, I read a, I read a book about them, watched a bunch of interviews with them, and uh, just all around tried to tried to find. There's not a lot of them explaining how they work, but there. Is, I mean, there's a little bit here and there, but more uh, having to read what people think that have worked with them about the way they work. So, I think between the two of us you guys are get a very pretty interesting perspective on these two talented brothers from is it Minneapolis uh yes, or oh no St. Louis Park, which
1: is a suburb of Minneapolis, so yeah, around that area all right so how many movies did you watch for this Lamb? Oh dear God <laughs> um i I mean I went back through and I watched some that that I didn't know were them. Um, like one of my favorite movies of all time, which uh, uh, apparently they co-wrote with uh, Sam Raimi, was uh, the Hudsucker Proxy, um, and that, by the way, I mean it, it, it's it's an allegory for marketing and 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 business, like we just described earlier in the the sh- the show. That is fascinating and really really funny. Um, I it's very very slapstick. Well, not just slapstick. How do I describe it? It's 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 very nuanced um, and it's very um, outlandish. Um, if any of you have seen Brazil, it's kind of in that same ilk. Um, and Tim Robbins is the main character, and basically he's he's a guy who's placed onto the board um, of a failing toy or a failing large corporation, um, and he's put there because he's an idiot, or at least they perceive him to be an idiot. Um, and what the 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 board is trying to do is tank the 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 stock price so they can rebuy it at a cheaper price. Um, unfortunately, uh, Tim Robbins's character ends up doing a fantastic job. Um, as head of the company and he by by inadvertently inventing the hula hoop um so it's a fascinating uh movie i i think in total i probably watched seven which is a lot of cohen by the way um watched seven movies um between the time where we we said we were gonna do it and and after and of course after watching some of the movies i, I read about them as well so Interesting to see where they've gone with a lot of this. They, they seem to work with the same people quite a bit. And I had no idea um, prior to our dive into the Coens that they were friends with Sam Raimi, uh, who's another one of my heroes.
2: Yeah, he was a huge influence on them, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw, saw one thing where they, they they talked about how Evil Dead was, was the, probably the biggest influence on them. Um, not because they wanted to make something like Evil Dead, but they saw what Sam did, which was kind of raising his own money. Uh, basically they saw how independent film could function and they decided let's make, let's do it because they, uh, I don't know if you ran across this in your research, but as they were kids, they were making movies as kids with super eights. Yeah.
1: They yeah. would
2: watch, they would watch TV and go outside and mimic it. Um, so they saw what Sam Raimi did and they're like, dude, let's do that. And, uh, I don't know. That's one of the things that in, in doing this research on these guys, um, I saw so many principles that we've talked about in this show before popping up with them as being great exemplars of it. You know, like this idea of just going out there and doing it, you know, not not caring what the result is, just making things. We just talked about yeah. that. And, and that's kind of how they started. Yeah, they mowed lawns to buy their uh, their camera and just couldn't stop like they were shooting all the time. You mentioned a couple of the films that that you didn't know were them. Which one? Which ones didn't you know were theirs? I feel terrible for not knowing um, *Miller's Crossing*,
1: uh, apparently one of their largest movies and, and most successful movies. Um, I I kind of vaguely knew when I first saw *Raising Arizona* that it was them, but I didn't know who they were at the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I said, "Oh, Coen Brothers, cool, whatever." You know, like I, I didn't. I, and by then, they didn't. They hadn't had that illustrious of a history. Um, But I remember how floored I was when I originally saw um, Raising Arizona. And of course, the second viewing, um, you know, 15 years later is significantly more impressive than the first because, you know, when I saw saw it the first time, I didn't quite understand the nuances, um, nor did I have as much as an extensive um, experience with the cinematic world. So I appreciate that movie a heck of a lot more now um, than I did when I originally saw it, even though when I first saw it, I thought it was amazing. Um, but yeah, Raising Arizona, which I still hail, by the way, to be the best Nicolas Cage performance ever.
2: What's interesting about that film, too, is uh, it's essentially a live-action cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> the mechanics of everything that happened in that movie. I saw somebody in my reading, somebody describe it as that, and it clicked for me. And I'm like, oh, yeah. But what's also really interesting is uh, I don't, you can't make those things if you're no good. So th- those are those are important questions. You need... You have to ask yourself. You you need to know those things because, you know, checking your email, we've talked about this, I think, two episodes ago. The idea of checking your email first thing in the morning, you know, that's being productive. Is it really?
1: <laughs> that's so true. Or is
2: it derailing you first thing in the morning? Is it wasting time? I mean, is it taking you down a different path? You know, when when we go into a day, we have an idea of what we need to accomplish in that day. And sometimes it's on a subconscious level. I like to figure it out the night before so that my brain can figure that stuff out while I'm dreaming, um, which is what it's built to do. But, you know, if I have one big thing that I need to do, say, my distinction. Now, labels, I I, I didn't really use them very much because, once again, I don't think we need them very much. But type of labels that are important that you're not going to get a lot of other places are things like some days. So, when you create a task, but you, you know, maybe you'll do that someday, it's a good label because you're probably not going to add that to the title. So, you won't be able to search for that. But when you're looking for a project, when all your other completed projects are done, you can pull up that someday label. And they might be in different areas of your life, but you'll be able to look at all of those things from different projects that are things that you thought maybe someday you might want to do. And now you can consider whether you want to do it now. Another important label is waiting. Anything that you're waiting on from somebody else, you need somebody else or some other circumstance to happen. And what's really good in Todoist is to go in and make a note about what you're waiting for. So in case you forget, you know, like I'm waiting for Lamb to talk to Juan Carlos. Okay, now I know what I'm waiting for. And then another one that I like to use is win-free. This is stuff that you want to do, but it's not super important. doesn't have a pressing date. But when you have time, when you've completed in a day when you just rocked it and you finished all your tasks for the day before 10 o'clock and you still want to be a little more productive, you pull up the win-free list and you go, oh, go to a museum. Yeah, today seems like a a good day to go to a museum. And then filters is when you really get into power. And I'm not going to really explain how to go into filters because it's complicated and this is audio. But, my basic advice to you, Allison, is think about the purpose of each label. Does it actually serve you? if it doesn't, get rid of it. Ask yourself also, can I achieve this same thing better using search and titling my note my my tasks uh, in a way that the search will benefit that? If so, get rid of that label and then really just get the labels that will group things in a way that nothing else in the program will, and then you'll see it dwindle down and then it'll be a really really powerful section and you'll be able to use it the way that you want. And it's really
1: interesting how you can achieve that because I I went through the same thing too as well. I went through label hell. Um, the moment I realized I could do that with tags in and Evernote, and I think we talked about this even before we started um, doing stuff for the podcast, just in our own personal lives is um, how... I would start small and work my way big when it came to whether it's tags or labels or whichever program that you're using or whatever, whatever you think you're compartmentalizing or grouping in such a way that will help to make your life easier in the long run. And I used to think that starting small and building my way outwards was the way to go. Um, only to find that I had so many small things in so many different places. It's like, it's like taking a coin person giving it a thousand different pockets and then putting a coin in each pocket um, rather than grouping coins together in such a way that made any real logical sense. So. In my complete blow up, uh, which is what you're talking about with the labels enema, because I did this with Evernote about a year and a half ago, was that I took all of the small things and I grouped them into bigger things and then I removed all of the small things. And I think that that's, that's kind of akin to what you're talking about, um, kind of understanding why you need groups and why they're important to work together. Um, I think for me personal personally, one of the things that really helped me was understanding time um, and understanding not just the priority of what needed to be done when, uh, but how long things would take and what projects they were related to, either short-term, medium-term, or long-term. And I realized that everyone using one of these types of apps is going to use it slightly differently. But for me, time was a very big indicator as to when and how I would do certain projects or whether I would group certain projects together at all. And there are times, for example, where uh, something photography related um, can belong in two different groups, even though it's the same thing because one is short term and one is long term, for example. So I think that that not just defining what they are and how you're going to use them is important. I also think that defining when you're going to use them and over
2: what period of time is really important as well. When I did the personal interview with you, Lamb, one of the things that we talked about was how at the beginning of this podcast and in Probably, I would say, the beginning, meaning the first year. There was a lot of scatter on my part as to what we were using to organize ourselves. A lot of jumping from things. Because uh, I was jumping to conclusions about how things would be done without understanding what I needed and how to achieve it. And that's the lesson that I learned. And that's the lesson that I'm presenting here is understand what you're trying to achieve and understand what you're going to want from those things and that will help you define what you actually put in. It's it's seems like the simplest thing. We all think that we do that, but we actually need to go to imagine yourself with the perfect productivity system and look backwards. What would that look like? When I want this, how would I want to find that and then make that happen? Uh, a lot of people end up doing these things where they, especially in Evernote, I don't think this happens as much in Todoist, but they have labels that have like, one or tags that have one note just one note in that tag why (laughs) just go to that note (laughs) so you need at least more than one thing to justify a label or a tag also, something really important to keep in mind, and I think we all fall into
1: this trap when we first start messing with productivity apps or to do to do list apps or whatever it may be, whatever whatever app it is that you're using to try to organize your life, is we there's a certain sense of novelty that you have from being able to do something the way that you're doing it for the first time. And I think because of that, you 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 jump into it like a child, and which is not necessarily a bad thing. In some senses, it makes you learn these apps much, much quicker. But in the long run, you can create yourself a lot of problems by not going into it with a sense of ruthless discipline and without some core logic. And I think that that's really, really important. In my, officially my third pass at Evernote, I think one of the things that I really made a concerted effort to do is to go into it with a core of logic, defining what groups were to me and how those groups were to function together. Um, I think Chad's example of, of one note and then labeling that one particular note is a very good example of how you can fall into the novelty trap and I think that the novelty trap is what gets us stuck in these modes where we're just defining and using and defining and using. With productivity apps, um, I find that the, the the term
2: just because you can doesn't mean you should really, really applies. And one day, dear listeners, I will explain to you the system that I'm now using, which is Apple Reminders, one simple, basic to-do list, no groupings at all, and paper.
1: Okay, so the last thing I wanted to talk to you guys about today was, uh, what I like to refer to as burn your ships. Um, I don't know the conquistador that did it. I don't remember. Um, because this is not a history podcast, nor is it an informational podcast, which Chad is fond of saying over and over again, because we very often forget uh, where our references come from and or the projects that we're talking about specifically. So my example is very specifically about burning your ships. Uh, What I mean by that is that, you know, over the course of our lives, we create these these things for ourselves. We create an apparatus of things like jobs and tasks and people and friends and things that we're supposed to do on a daily basis, Uh, the routine that defines our, our lives on a day to day basis and most of those things occupy time but very few of them actually offer any real progress or enlightenment and over time things just give us comfort you know they never really give us happiness and so you know with losing a number of people this year a few family members as well as a few friends um, I've started to realize more and more the the thing that people always say which is you know you only have one life to live so so why not do something that you 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 like or why not do something that makes you happy and i think that one of the key obstacles to me doing that is me creating this apparatus me creating these these safety nets and these 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 tasks and friendships and and environments in which i feel like i'm using my time to occupy myself to 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 produce something, and i I realized that very few of those things actually make me happy and so you know over the last couple of weeks, um, there was a defining moment for me where I lost a friend, and in thinking about his life, one of the things that I, I consistently remember was how he would just do things because they were there to do um, in no uncertain terms, he was like the joker from. From Batman, where he just did things because they, because that's just what he felt like doing. So, I decided to to quit my job, which I was very unhappy with. Um, I decided to remove my commute from my life, which ate up a lot of time and energy. And I decided to try to pursue something that that I think will make me much happier in the long run. And to, in order to to take that pursuit on with all of my energy and heart and speed, is to have quit my job um, and that was a tough thing for me to do you know it's a tough thing to to let go of your your support apparatus